Jillian, you got a pen? Pen? For what? I mean, shoot, we're about to be having like large money conversations, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I gotta call corporate because I need to ask the IMF how much I can get for these Ghana CDs. I, I guess I need to talk to the Fed then because clearly <laughs> I don't know what is going on. How are, are you doing? Y yeah, we're live. <laughs> how are you good how are you doing i'm doing good i'm doing good uh butter don't worry people butter will be back he went for his glorious w-a-l-k um don't say it out loud don't although say he can spell though yeah he i know spell. but he's not here so just in case if there's ever a rewatch he's gonna look at me like you said what <laughs> <laughs> What's good, everybody? I'm Mark Monroe, accompanied by my wonderful co-host, co-creator, co-producer, and all things galactic and good friend. Give it up for the wonderful. It's Jill and GC in the place to be. What does it, cousins, on this fine Tuesday? Hey, what's up, y'all? And welcome to the Come Up series. And today, just as a spoiler alert, yes, it is. It's a School of Investing episode. So make sure you have your pen and paper ready. But yo, let's get some stuff out of the way, because, you know, we we gotta set the room for today's episode first things first i want you to go to the share button and share this to your social media or share this with five friends just just five one two three four five now if they don't click the link or whatever it is that's on them they're missing out on something big but ultimately share with five people that you know and on top of that go ahead and hit the like button down below and if you haven't subscribed yet though that you know Clearly, what what are you doing? Like, we're the come up series. How come you're not subscribed? Go ahead and hit that subscribe button down below. And if you want to be in the know, just like how, don't tell me, don't tell me, Reggie. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the, the, what up, Reggie? It's been a minute. I cheated because technically I already knew. But shout outs to you, Reggie, for being the first one in the chat because you definitely had your bell ready. So you're part of the notification squad, AKA the Cool Kids Club. And if you want to be like Reggie, go ahead and smash that bell. So we got some of the stuff out of the way. So, Jolynn, let's get some Yay. of the, in the words of the Oracle from the Matrix, let's get the obvious stuff out of the way along with some good old goodies from our wonderful black history and our ancestors. Hold on. I'm doing what you said and I'm sharing right now. Oh, okay. Okay, so <laughs> y'all, the NASDAQ was in serious bear market territory. Um, it looks like it's trying to come up, but we're we're gonna see. So the Dow was up <clears throat> 599 point 10 points. Um now we are at 33,544.34. Um the SP 500 was up 89.34. Uh, points. So now we are occupying the level of 4,262.45. The NASDAQ was up 367.40 points. So we are just under the 13,000 uh, level at 12,948.62. We got the VIX uh, rising um, to 29.83. Actually came down though. It was higher earlier in the day, but it came down just a little sprinkle. And then we have the U.S. Uh, tenure at 2.153%, heading over to sector performance. Um, but before I get to that, Mark, did you know that there are 11 sectors? <laughs> we track the top three and the bottom three so we can see what that rotation is looking like. So we have my three faves in the top three spots. We have uh, 
excuse me, technology, consumer discretionary, and communication services. Then for the bottom three, it's materials, real estate, and energy. And I will note that energy was the only one that was in the red. So as you can see, um, you know, the energy prices have come down. Um, gas has come down somewhat. Mm -hmm. Come, to, It's come down under 100. So we're going to continue to monitor that. Um, so we know, you know, what to expect. So y'all, okay. Shout out to those of y'all who were aware <laughs> that the Come Up series new pick list was released. Hey. Um, right in time for Quad Witch. Hey. Um, so I have not updated the database yet for watching <laughs> our um, tickers. So I'm just let you know that there's a new list out and next week we will know um which one is coming in the top and which ones are coming in at the bottom so mark you know we like to do black history all the way from february 1st mm -hmm. whatever that first episode of the comic series is during black history month all the way to juneteenth yes so with that said let me just pull up um our black history for the day and shout out to brian Clyette, our historian who <laughs> loves sharing um, information with us about black history as we go all the way until Juneteenth. All right, today before, we Before are we do that, I wanna send a special shout out to folks <laughs> in whom which that are typically unsung heroes. Just wanna send a special shout out to Bro Bro TiVo for just doing his thing on TiVo is Sundays. black history. Yeah, he is, black he, he is a whole black history vibe within itself. And on top of that, we want to send a special shout out to Kayla as well, one of the other unsung heroes that definitely makes oh, a yes, lot of stuff uh, possible in the moderation in the chat. So definitely want to shout you guys out today. Yes, appreciate you both. Okay, so the first clock in British colonial North America, 752, that is the context for today. This is a lot, y'all. So <sighs> this is gonna. <laughs> this whole episode is gonna be a lot, so you're gonna hear the clank, clank of the uh, middle. Hopefully, straw. I have enough water. <laughs> well, you have three bottles. I only have one glass, so don't, don't be telling my business like that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> here we go. Benjamin Banneker, free black farmer, mathematician, and astronomer, was born on November 9th. 1731, the son of freed slaves Robert and Mary Banneke, probably near the Potapsco, excuse me, Potapsco River, southeast of Baltimore, Maryland, where his father owned a small farm. For some years, Benjamin seemed to have served as an indentured laborer on the Prince George's County Plantation of Mary Welsh, who had dealings with the Banneke family and in 1773 executed her dead husband's instructions to release several of her labor force, including Negro Ben, which is what they called him, Negro Ben, born free age 43. Walsh was surely not Banneker's grandmother, as argued by many biographers, but she did leave him a substantial legacy. He then lived alone as a tobacco farmer near the Patapsco River. By tradition, Banneker received only a brief education from a Quaker schoolmaster, but he showed an early talent for mathematics and construction when, at age 21, he built a model of a striking clock, largely out of wood that became renowned in his neighborhood. He read widely and recorded his researches. His skills drew him into contact with the wealthy white family, the Ellicotts, 
who had established flour mills and an iron foundry on the outskirts of Baltimore in the mid 1770s. Shout out to our ancestors who did the majority of that work for that family to have wealth. Moving on, Banneker continued to live on his farm in declining health and died on October 9th, 1806. Only fragments of his later writings survive, as most perished in a fire after his death. His life and work have become enshrouded in legend and antidote. But his achievements ranked among oh, but his achievements, excuse me, achievements ranked him among other American scientists of the time, and they were the more remarkable as the product of patient, lifelong self-education emerging out of humble um, origins. So we are going to have so many uh, figures in history who are unsung. Mm -hmm. And so I just encourage you all now to think about the people that are in your family, your networks, who are the heroes and sheroes of your life and give them their flowers now. Like, don't wait until they're gone. Facts. Facts. So, Mark, are you ready to talk about these money moves? I mean, I'm ready if you are. Okay. You got well, you, you got you got a iPad and everything else ready to go. No, you know my iPad is out of commission. Wait, what? Paper, pencil. We're gonna fix that. <laughs> We're gonna I just wait. haven't gotten around to it. I, you know, it's just whatever. Anyway, I, it's a sore subject, Mark. I don't want to talk about it. Okay, let's move on. All right, so. <laughs> Y'all, I hope that you have your pen and paper or your tablets, whatever it is, at home. Hopefully you share this out to everybody else. If you are, if you've received this link from somebody who actually just invited you, be sure to definitely give them their flowers because you'll definitely thank us by the end of this episode and be thanking them. So don't thank us, thank them. All right, so today's episode is going to be all about money. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> so... Are we ready? Should we should we give people a little bit more time to like, you know, go sharpen their pencils or whatever it is? You know, if you're ready, go ahead, if you're ready, go ahead and throw up yes in the chat. How about that? No fire emoji because that's what's about. No money bags, money, money bags in the chat. Money bags in the chat. Money bags in the chat. Oh, okay. this is going to so, be interesting. I'm looking through the chat right now as we're waiting for um, people to um, have take a seat in the classroom. Um, and I see. Shout out Sativo for uh, putting in the top three and the bottom three. Let me see. Where do you do that? Uh, oh, thank you. Well, I see it. I see it. Thank you. It's interesting. Joanne's um, made it to the top three. Hmm. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Okay. Oh, I see money. I see money. I think they're ready. <sighs> now I'm talking. Now we're talking. Smells like money in here. <laughs> All right, so let's do it. We're going to talk about money and policy. A lot of folks don't believe that pretty much that these two go hand in hand. But au contraire, they definitely do. So, you know, here at the School of Investing, your tuition is definitely still paid for by the ancestors and forever will be. So we hope that y'all ready. So let's go. So when we think about money, right? We think about it in simple things like in the wind in and how is it that we spend things right but let's look a little bit deeper i look at money like this it's the stuff that makes the world go round we use it to get the things we need and the things we want just imagine this real quick we'll sell stuff for it uh work long hours for it and even go on game shows 
if you're lucky for it. But what exactly is it, right? You know, we as humans have used a lot of different things as money in the past. For a long time now, we've been using small pieces of paper, uh, handing them to each other directly or sending electronic messages with credit cards and account numbers saying, I owe you this much or of that paper and you owe me this much amount of that paper. Mm -hmm. So why do we work and trade and gamble for paper? So just to give you guys something that's kind of new, I'm actually going to give you like how like what this lecture is going to be all about. So we're going to talk about monetary policy for sure. We're going to go through a little bit of the history, where we're at today, the structures, the actual policy in action, and then let's have some takeaways. So first things first, how did we get started? Our modern currencies of dollars, pounds, and yen were once backed by gold, um, with each bill representing a certain amount of the valuable metal. Now, with this system, a currency's value was tied to the supply of gold. So just think about it. If you had all this supply of gold, then that ultimately was the resemblance of, say, for example, the value of your currency. But then we brought in this new system called fiat money. And the core value comes from the government rules that make them legal tender. This means that any business within the country must accept that, that country's particular currency in exchange for goods and services, and taxes must be paid to the government in that currency. So let me just give you a quick little, a quick little breakdown there. So instead of being backed by gold, governments simply declare that these pieces of paper are actually valuable. Now, I mean, we kind of know that in today's modern society that we print so much paper, we print so much money, that essentially it's like, and then we deem it, we give it some type of value. Um, and it kind of like asks the question, well, what is it backed by? But then we have this other part where it's like, where we look at it from the business standpoint of if I do business and if I give you a service or a product, then ultimately it must be exchanged for that type of currency. Now, of course, if we're doing, say, for example, international, right? If we're doing international, whether it's import, export, which is a major part of bringing forth value into currency then essentially now that changes the entire game because now if let's say if i pay you know 20 software engineers over in london to develop a software product you know not only is that money going to them but then a portion of that is going to be cut from say for example taxes that go to their government in exchange for that currency so a lot of you're like whoa mark legal tender what is that well I got you covered. So when we think about legal tender, this means that any business within a country must accept that country's particular currency in exchange for goods and services and the taxes must be paid by the government in that currency. So as long as people want to conduct business in a country, there will be a demand for the legal tender and it will have some value. Now, what that value is, you know, that that varies and we're going to get into that in a second so let's look at it, the currency right like how does that work today well for most major currencies their exchange rates with other currencies shift up and down depending on constantly changing economic factors some governments try to manipulate their currencies uh, exchange rates now we've heard about this like for example china devaluing their currency or other countries propping up their currencies so we've seen this happen but you know what does that look like right 
I'll give you an example. So a government might sell a lot of its money in currency markets so that it becomes cheaper relative to other currencies. That makes it easier for that country's companies to sell products abroad and harder for foreign produced goods to be sold at home. So which means that you're rising, you're making the value of their dollar rise versus the cost of yours to come down. And then thus, if you're doing any type of trade, the money that's coming in because of the fact that their their dollar or their currency is stronger, then that means that it, it comes in stronger towards your economy, thus boosting domestic industries and thus creating jobs. I mean, very simple, right? So, but other countries often respond negatively to this. So we've seen this happen. So for example, when you negatively manipulate uh, your currency, you can find yourself in a position where it can use where another country can use economic uh, and financial tools to stop manipulators. So economic factors ultimately determine how much of one currency can be exchanged for another. So we look at the economic factors and we've gone through economic factors, you know, in the past. So we look at, say, for example, what goes in, what goes out. Say, for example, we look at other things like, for example, resources, all those things. On top of that, we look at unemployment, uh, job growth, all those things to really put together the final picture of what the economic uh, landscape looks like for that specific country. Okay, so now it's like this is where it comes into that supply and demand. You guys remember that where we talked about this when we did economics one on one here at the come up series. One of the factors is the supply of money. As it changes, it can have major effects on a country's economy. So I'll give you an example. When the money supply increases, the cost of borrowing tends to go down. Hmm, this is very interesting. Remember quantitative easing, where say for example, you pump X amount of money into the system, and then ultimately the cost the, that, it, that it tends to make to borrow, it comes down significantly. Um, thus, the reason why financials typically suck when you go through when you go through quantitative easing, especially hence the reason why everybody's kind of like talking about recession and everything else. And why is it that they're trying to force the Fed to ultimately raise rates higher so that way essentially it doesn't put us into a recession? And who benefits the most from higher rates? You guessed it, financial institutions, aka banks. So business get, businesses though, they get cheap loans and they use that money on investments that create new business, um, aka like they, they made investments to like, let's say expand a product or a service. And then it also creates jobs and of course it spawns economic growth. Right, because of course that also plays into the fact of GDP. If you removed Apple, if you removed Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, or AKA Meta, um, and even Tesla, if you remove those six companies out of the equation from the United States, imagine what the GDP number would look like from the United States. So, just think about that. That's that's very huge. So, but, however. There's one little thing that can cause a rising tide here. And let's get into that. If the money supply increases too much, businesses will expand too fast. Their demand for new buildings or machines or workers will grow faster than they're being supplied. So what does this mean? When, you, when too much money chases too few goods, their prices will increase, resulting in inflation. This isn't the only reason inflation incurs, but I mean, it's a major factor. For example, if people expect there to be inflation, they'll ask for higher wages, which force businesses to charge more for their products, resulting in higher price levels 
and thus Q inflation. So when we think about that, right, that, that, could, that could legitimately be terrible. That, that sucks. But it's not all bad. Like every single time when we think, when we talk about inflation, everybody talks about how much it's doom and gloom and everything else. And that's not always the case. Inflation also often creates winners and losers. For example, it can benefit people who owe others money. So, for example, if you borrow $100, you will continue to owe 100 even if the, there is inflation. And the actual value of the dollar has declined. Uh, so if people in debt are getting paid a higher wage because of inflation, it will require a smaller portion of their income to repay their debts. You see how that worked? So when we think about wage inflation, people think about wage inflation as a bad thing, but they look at it as a bad thing as it pertains to companies because of the fact of their costs. But when you think about it as it pertains to the average individual, when you get wage inflation, which means that you get paid higher wages, well... Let's say that if you owe if you have student loan debt, but because of the fact that the market has increased your ability to earn more, then that means that essentially that you could pay off more. Or say, for example, if you don't owe, then essentially the money that you bring in, you could save more and ultimately invest that and ultimately get yourself out of the rat race, aka the nine to five. But when we think about inflation, it often creates so remember what I said, it often creates winners and losers. Now, while some inflation is a natural part of modern economies, too much inflation can cause an economic crisis. So people can't afford basic necessities and their savings become worthless. Um, they don't know what the money in their pockets will be worth in a month's time. They can't plan for the future. Uh, and it's that uncertainty, the reason being why sometimes you see investment falls and economic growth suffers and faith in government disappears. Mark. Yes. They're not seeing the slides. Oh, they're not? Mm-mm. Wait, so I've just gone this entire time and people have not mm -hmm. been able to see the slides? Mm-hmm. What? Huh. Well, don't worry. I will I will just continue this on and <laughs> let's see here. Let's 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 see something here. What is going on? Let us see something here. Yeah, so they can't see that? Okay, mm. they should be able to see it now. Let us know if y'all can see it. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep going. If they can see it, then let me know. Okay, so... Wow. So the whole time people weren't able to see my, my brilliant, like, you know, for example, the, you know, oh, wow, that's interesting. Mm hmm. The slide that I see that is on now is the inflation slide. OK, well, we're going we're going to make this. They work. see it now. They see it now. OK, I was like, I was, I was getting nervous over here for a second. I was like, hold up. All right. So. All right, I think I figured out how to make this work. So I think this slide that people most recently saw was this one. All right, so here we go. Don't worry, people. I will upload this slide, this this presentation, and it will be made available for each and every single one of you in the description down below. So don't worry. So, man, they missed all of that. And I put a lot of heart and energy and soul towards this. But let's get to it. So when we think about things like, say, for example, monetary policy, right? 
So for example, this is where it leads us because now that we're talking about inflation, it leads us towards monetary policy. Now let's let's get into it. So when money when the money uh, supply decreases, inflation becomes less likely and it's possible that prices and goods and services might even decrease. This is called deflation. Now this is what some folks are kind of like leaning towards in the sense of where we start having those supply issues start to get subside, then we'll get into a deflationary environment. Hopefully not a stagflation where everything is just stagnant. All right, but then there's a, there is less money for businesses to hire people and with less people working, less money is available to spend so the economy starts to shrink, AKA GDP growth starts to slow down. All right, so now we officially, we made it. All right, because now we get to talk about the policy. So many governments try to many governments try to manage their economies and avoid severe inflation or deflation by changing their money supply through what is called aka Qit monetary supply. We are here. We have finally made it. So they use expansionary monetary policies which encourage banks to make loans cheaper and lend out more money, making it easier to borrow. This increases the money supply and expands the economy. So, or governments could use this contractionary monetary policies which encourage banks to make loans more expensive and lend out less money making it more difficult to borrow this decreases the money supply and contracts the economy because if the economy doesn't have enough cash to be able to create supply or to be able to literally create uh, more business or create growth and everything else and of course the economy is starting to slow down now a good example of that is look at china's economy so when investment starts to slow down then that starts to create that tsunami wave so if we think about it, monetary policy is conducted through a central bank. So in the United States, the central bank is the Federal Reserve, but you'll also hear it called the Fed. It operates independently from the rest of the U.S. government, supposedly. Um, that way, instead of making politically convenient decisions in the short term, it's able to focus on what's best for the economy in the long term. So any decisions that the Fed makes should typically have an impact over the next six to nine months down the road. So if the Fed is, say, for example, going to raise rates, if they hike rates by 0.25 or 25 basis points, then that should have an impact on the economy over the next six months. Hence the reason why they said that we'll take a wait and see approach. So once we raise these these 25 basis points in rates, yo, Wall Street, you can go sit down and have a, you know, have a Coke and a smile and let's see exactly how things shape out. So let's get into the Fed a little bit, right? Because the Fed has two goals. We talked about it and they call it a dual mandate. One, to maximize employment and the other one to keep inflation rates low. So maximizing employment often requires increasing the money supply with, you know, expansion policies, while keeping inflation rates low often requires slowing the growth of the money supply with contractionary policy. So you're causing things to contract, aka, hey, we're going to stop we're going to stop buying up bonds. We're going to start releasing the debt on it. We're going to start clearing off our balance sheet. We're going to start raising rates. We're contracting those policies that were went from an easy money supply to now we're going to start getting into a much more hawkish uh, Fed. And hence the reason why you hear dovish or hawkish. Hawkish meaning that essentially they're getting more tight and more uh, aggressive versus dovish, lighter tone. And hey, we got your back. We're here for you. All right, so the Fed is constantly performing a balancing act, making sure that inflation doesn't get too high by making sure that employment doesn't fall too low and essentially protecting the economy 
from running to hot or to cold. So you've heard this statement before. All right, so if it runs too hot, then that can put you in a, in a terrible environment in which that inflation has gotten out of hand and thus nobody can afford anything or you know they'll still be able to afford things but it's like it's going to cause the economy to significantly contract in which we go into a depression we can go into a depressionary environment if it goes too cold then that means that essentially that hey we need to get moving and everything else and things are ready to move but it's just that we do not have the capacity all right so the fed also regulates large banks and important financial institutions in an attempt to limit the economic risks they pose to the country. Like most central banks, so it's not just the Federal Reserve. You have, say for example, the Bank of Japan. You also have the ECB, which is the European Central Bank. You also have, say for example, the Chinese Bank. So you have multiple different uh, central banks out there. We're just talking about the Fed, but if you look at the Fed, then ultimately you're looking at the leader of the pack. I mean, we'll get into that in a little bit, so that way you can understand what we're talking about. All right, so the Fed has a domestic mission and focuses on managing the United States economy. But at the same token, given that we live in a global economy, those things tend to factor in as well, which could also have slight impacts on the Federal Reserve's uh, decision-making. So question, did you all know that because changes in the, in the US economy affect the global economy, um, and because the US dollar is the most widely used currency in the world, the majority of international business is conducted in U.S. dollars, and many foreign central banks hold on to a lot of U.S. dollars as a reserve currency, ensuring they have enough dollars for their countries to buy things from abroad in good economic times and bad. Interesting. All right, so when the Fed adjusts its monetary policy, it has major effects throughout a world that trades and saves in US dollars. So changing the prices we pay, the amounts we earn, and the value of everything we've got, it literally has an impact on everybody else. So for example, I think a while back I mentioned, you know, if the dollar, like if you guys ever get the chance, if you ever watch the US dollar, if the US dollar runs too hot, you'll tend to see that the stock market tends to drop. And why does that happen? Because if the stock market, if the US dollar is too high, then that could also have impact as it pertains to the purchasing power of countries abroad. So other countries, it may possibly decrease their amount to what they can spend or what people can buy because it's too expensive. Like I always give the example of if you want to if you want to get an idea of what things cost, then go look at exactly how much it costs to buy since we look at Apple as the global the global company. Um, go look at how much an iPhone 13 cost from here in the United States and then look at it in Japan, look at it in China, look at it in India, and as well as in Europe. You can look at other countries, but I'm just giving you four. Okay, but then there's this thing called the IMF, Jolyn. Oh, yeah, I love the IMF. Would you like to talk about it? Sure. Um, so the IMF was established in 1944, and really it was in response to preventing um, economic crisis. It's an international organization 
um, that it, its role really is to provide financial assistance and advise its member countries. So currently there are um, 190 countries that are a part of the IMF. They're called members and those members pay like a, a subscription, a member subscription fee, right, to be a part of it. And that fee um, is based on how large their economy is. It also provides voting power. So you all can guess that the United States has the most power um, because our economy is the largest. So our um, word, our vote packs a super heavy punch. So when the United States says, look, this is what we're going to do as it, as it um, relates to the world um, economy, then all other organizations usually take um, heed to what the United States has to say. Um, and that's also, I mean, it's not explicitly stated, but also the United States is a nuclear power. So it's like, how are you going to disagree with the nuclear power, regardless of what your vote is? So that's something else to keep in mind. Um, so with that, uh, there's some certain things that the IMF is responsible for. Um, and one of those things that they are responsible for, um, it's, I think it's like six areas or so. I didn't, I didn't count them out, but they're responsible for fostering investment for and promoting like a balanced economic trade. So really they're kind of like the, the big brother, so to speak, to make sure that, you know, the world doesn't fall off an economic cliff, so to speak. So they advise on um, macroeconomics. So you want to think about like the impact of um, exchange rates. Um, they also um, will assess government budget. So you know how we're always talking about 70-30. Mm -hmm. Well, countries still need to be on that 70-30 budget life as well. Now, that might not be the actual breakdown, but just how, you know, we are responsible for, you know, being good stewards of many countries are also responsible for that as well. Um, and the uh, IMF, does it that their whole role is to advise on that um they also advise on money as you heard mark talking about earlier um and credit management you know um so they will also appraise financial sectors and regulatory policies of a country mm -hmm. and they also have um advisory role when it comes to like structural policies so think of like the labor and um employment of a country yep. so it's like having a big brother or big sister who um steps in and says okay let's get your financial life all the way together um, and we are going to make sure that, you know, your company, your not company, but your country is healthy. Um, and they also have a role with, um, so the sister organization that's like ran by the UN is the World Bank. Mm -hmm. And so the World Bank is responsible for helping um, developing nations um, not be in the developing nation, like, title so it it's there to help them like come up so to speak um and those organizations run uh, work together so the imf and the world bank work together so earlier mark and i were discussing um you know what it looks like when uh the united states for example leads the policy policy discussion on sanctions in russia and what it looks like for uh, 
like these financial um, sanctions on Russia. So we have several U.S. companies coming out of uh, Russia, like they're just pulling out. So that impacts um, jobs. It impacts um, just like like consumer life. Imagine being in Russia right now where the war is not actually in your country. It's in Ukraine. But now all of a sudden you are searching high and low, you know, for a Big Mac. I'm not trying to make light of it, but like legit people were like hoarding, you know, different things. And it's kind of like the Cold War where yep. a pair of Levi's was like the thing to have. Like people, you know, would if you had Levi's, it was considered, you know, like a, a rare commodity, yep. like something that's so out there now, something like Levi's was, you know, the hot, the hot ticket item. So all of these, all of these corporations have pulled out of Russia, um, you know, as a way to say, Russia, we don't agree with what you're doing. Um, and so earlier, Mark, remember we were talking about just the impact beyond uh, Ukraine and Russia. Oh, yeah, I can get to it. Um, and what would happen, yeah, and what would happen, you know, if Russia defaults on okay. their debt? Well, glad you asked, because it leads us into the next thing, the Russia, situ the Russia situation. Economic sanctions ahead. <laughs> so the effect... Of the value of of the Russia currency or the Russian currency, as we saw immediately after the announcement of the sanction, when the ruble dropped by almost thirty percent in a day. Now you don't ever really see a currency drop like that astronomical in one day, and then I think they lost like a significant portion of their value as the days progress, which ultimately forced their central bank to literally shut a lot of things down. Um, so typically when a country's currency depreciates, the central bank of that country taps into their foreign reserve to buy their local currency and pay for it in the foreign currency to stabilize the currency market. So let's run that back. I'll read it back to you. So typically when a country's currency depreciates, aka drops in value, the central bank of that country, so Russia's central bank, normally taps into their foreign reserve, so their reserve of cash, to, or their money supply to buy their local currency. So they're buying up their currency to try to prop it up. So you probably noticed that when you saw like the Russian ruble was dropping, but then you saw those little spikes, that was their central bank that was ultimately trying to buy it up to stabilize it. Okay, so then the current, so, so to buy their local currency and pay for it in foreign, foreren currency, so AKA with US dollar or, you know, uh, euros or whatever it was to stabilize the currency market. Sanctions have taken that ability away from the Russian central bank. So they no longer have that ability to stabilize their own currency, AKA hence the reason why they were looking at things and saying, hey, okay, hey, we don't need SWIFT, <clears throat> lie. Um, we can go with, say for example, either crypto. Well, those that got squeezed a little bit. Then we can look Wait, at- Wait, Mark, yes. explain SWIFT for those who don't know. So SWIFT, if you, if you think about it, think of SWIFT as say, for example, WeChat for the banking system. So essentially, if I'm going to send JoLynn money from, say, for example, Ghana all the way to the US, right? Then that's going to have to run through the SWIFT system in which that essentially it sends a messaging. And without that messaging, then you have no recollection of whether or not the transfer goes through. And if it doesn't, it, it doesn't approve if the messaging does not go through. So essentially, if you remove a country off of that, then through due to sanctions, 
now there is no way to be able to say that okay hey that this transfer or these transactions have run through thus you've just voided out their ability to make transactions with the rest of the world mm-hmm. so if you think about it like all things especially within banking systems there's there must be a confirmation so there's a transaction that started and then there must be a confirmation that must take place on both ends if that does not happen then the transaction ultimately becomes voided okay so when we think about it when we think when we think that like if we think of the fed the fed will prioritize growth so if we're looking at the united states the fed will prioritize growth over inflation that's very very clear they're going to look at growth versus inflation they've already done that if you notice like if they really cared about inflation the way that like everybody wanted them to then they would have ultimately already raised rates by now but they're not doing so they're focused on the growth um but to stay the course for now on its intent to begin hiking which is probably going to take place tomorrow so you're probably going to hear that the federal reserve or the fomc will do a rate hike of 0.25 uh or 25 basis points uh for their federal funds rate um so pretty much we look at the ba- we look at a baseline assumption here, which forecasts a twenty five point basis or twenty five basis point. But looking at it overall, we'll probably get to one hundred and fifty basis points in tightening by the by the year's end, um, and then another one hundred basis points for next year, which ultimately puts us on target for about a two and a half percent federal funds rate by the end of twenty twenty three. Now let's look at. Europe, though, because the Ukraine conflict has created a sizable supply shock for their key commodities market. So for much of the world, uh, I mean, you know, pretty much for most of the world, it's like it's going to be key commodities. But pricing pressure is the most acute when it comes to the euro area. The region relies on Russia for a significant share of its natural gas and oil. We all know this. And Ukraine for corn and wheat among other you know commodities so that's going to send significant supply shocks especially to other areas when it comes to import export and europe being one of them now when we look at asia from an from a macro standpoint so from a larger scale uh most of asia appears to be better positioned today than it was during previous periods of geopolitical tensions so thanks to better macro stability, fiscal room to respond and low inflation in many key markets, where the picture gets complicated is China. It also has the benefit of better macro stability, low interest rates, and a manageable direct trade impact with Russia, which accounts for about 2% of its uh, exports and 3% of its imports. So if you really look at it across the board, you know, a lot of these countries don't really have a huge impact on Russia, but it's like when you, it's the things that we look at it over a periods of time that can have impact. So when we look at United States, United States is our impact is probably one percent or, or less than one percent when it comes to being impacted by China. Now, of course, uh, as it lingers on, those can have shocking effects, especially when we look at companies like, let's say, a McDonald's or a Starbucks or, you know, companies no longer doing business that takes away revenue that they could have attributed from these uh, geographical regions. And again, it just means that essentially that that's going to probably cause inflation shocks or supply shocks, uh, even in tech companies, where you'll probably start to see that the cost of ads, that that cost goes up maybe by a few cents, just to account for, say, for example, the loss of revenue that they would probably take in Eastern Europe. 
you know, it's those types of things where we start to see that that cost rolls over to the consumer or to other businesses. So um, there was an article on The Guardian. It came out on Sunday and um, it was talking about uh, Russia, Russia's default. Mm-hmm. And um, what's her name? Uh, what is her name? Christina, Kristalina Georgie, Georgieva. I think that's her name. Yes. Um, yeah, she's the she's like the head of the IMF. IMF. So she um, basically said, and this, y'all, this really tripped me out because when they were, they were discussing, you know, the, the probability of Russia, of Russia defaulting. So she was like, yeah, they're probably going to default, but you know, it's not going to be um, a huge impact. Yes. And so um, she said it would not trigger a global financial crisis. No. Um, But the, what was really tripping me out when I was reading about it was, um she's like for now no we're fine for now like it's not going to be an impact and she said the total exposure of banks to russia amounted to around 120 billion dollars an amount that while not insignificant was quote unquote not systematically relevant so that just goes to show you like when we're talking about money and global money yeah it's way up there so if you're not sneezing at 120 billion dollars like it's like nothing to you then that just goes to show you like how much money um there is in this world yep and then also like the significant or not as significant at least not right now um impact of when these um countries that are part of the imf default but mark like what you were saying that whole um it's like the impact over the long term over time right yeah yeah over time um it, it just starts to erode just a little bit a little bit a little bit to the point where okay well now it's a problem yep. so when we're thinking about um i want us to like talk through like what it looks like when we're thinking beyond just russia and ukraine because in that same article it was talking about like the impact that this war will have on Africa, meaning that there will be hunger in Africa because Russia invaded Ukraine and then it's attached to imports and all these things. So you just nailed it. Um, it. It comes down to imports and exports. You know, a lot of countries rely on certain things to be imported. And it's like, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, other countries can't produce. But again, mm-hmm. it taps into either their reserves or mm-hmm. they can only produce what they can produce. So once you've hit peak production or peak you know peak uh peak levels of supply then there's Mm -hmm. nothing else that you can do there and thus it's like okay hey right now you have other countries looking to compensate for such loss but at the same token it's still a significant loss where not everybody is going to be able to come out of this unscathed you know like for example for americans it's pretty much okay hey you're going to see higher prices in Mm -hmm. certain commodities um, in other countries, you're going to see that, okay, hey, that, you know, food supplies become somewhat short. Um, and that's going to be up to, say, for example, the collective to be able to work together to find ways to resolve these areas in which that it becomes, you know, holes in the economic supply chain. Um, and that's the reason why I said it's like, but the more things tend to linger on, you know, don't get me wrong. Economies are very much so resilient. You know, economies, mm-hmm. they become resilient to the point where they, they learn how to endure and then they become innovative and then they find ways in which that 
they no longer need things. Like it just we're a resilient pe we're a resilient species, aka the human race. But at the same token, you know, that's thinking about it over a longer term trajectory. You know, you have to look at it in the sense of now and what certain things produce. You know, you have to look at, say, for example, you know, things that go out. What does that do to towards that country's money? What does that do to a country monetary wise if they're not able to count on, say, for example, that revenue that they would normally bring in from import export? Or say, for example, again, supply. If supply becomes, if we start to find supply becomes scarce, then essentially that becomes an issue when it comes to folks getting food. So, so uh, if, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I, I was just gonna say. So pretty much, it's, it's kind of like a balancing. It's like a balance beam that we're trying to balance out, and mm -hmm. the balance beam becomes even more shaky the more that as time weans on until we actually have solutions. Okay, so I want to talk about um, China and their silence. Um, so when President Biden uh, came out and basically said, look, these are all the new economic sanctions that we're putting, uh, applying, you know, towards Russia. Um, Russia, then they asked China to support them. So I want to talk about <laughs> China's like silence right now, because if they start to, you know, if they start to speak, <laughs> okay, I'm simply in a shady moment. If they start to speak, like that's going to cause major, major issues. So, so I'm just going to say this. China sat there very quietly for X amount of time watching. And then they started saying, oh, hold up. United States, EU, Germany, UK, and Japan, many of the other players. Oh, oh, this is not a game. <laughs> All right. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we're not going to like try to get, we're not going to try to meddle in, in other countries' affairs because that's really what China is all about. China is about one thing and one thing only. That's about money. Like ultimately becoming a, a global superpower and literally providing to the rest of the world and ultimately making that paper. Like, if, mm -hmm. if we had to place the countries as people, China would be like, yo, I know that you ain't messing with that person, but hey, I'm out here trying to make money. I'm out here trying to get that bread. So you want to do business with me? That's fine. But yeah, at the same token, yo, we ain't going to like, you know, we ain't going to talk very heavily about it. This ain't going to be publicized. You know, I work with you. You keep it quiet. Boom. Don't put mm -hmm. like, don't add my name into anything. Russia is like that type of person where it's like they're throwing a temper tantrum right now. They're in their feelings and ultimately it's like they, they feel like they want to be like the they want to be like the one that everybody fears. And it's like, you know, they came out and it's just like, OK, hey, we come out guns blazing, thinking that we can do everything. And then you started realizing, oh, well, maybe we weren't as good as we thought we were. And now we have to, like, you know, make some adjustments on the fly. We have to pivot. And United States is like, you want that smoke player? Okay, let's let's let yo let's let's go. And I think that when we look at it from the standpoint of where we are, I think that you know you kind of seen that China's kind of like you know, hey, whoa, time out. We don't we don't want that kind of energy. You know, again, I'm about making paper. I ain't about creating enemies. And I think. You know, when we look at, like, for example, when it comes to China, China's not in it for friendships. China's in it for the business. Right. 
So again, anything that has an impact on China being able to do business will ultimately have an impact as it pertains to their decision. And I think that when it comes down to, okay, hey, will, will China support you know, Russia when it comes to their military weapons? I think it came out earlier today where China was like, nah, player, we don't want that smoke. <laughs> well, I think that's good on them. So what's the significance of um, part of, we already know that Russia can't access their um, gold and other, um, like federal, their other reserves, right? Yep. So part of their reserves is in the Chinese um, uh, money. So um, what, what significance does that have like in this, you know, can they, on the, is there any slick stuff that they can pull or? Yeah, I mean, they could. I mean, China could definitely pull some slick stuff if they wanted to. I mean, you have to, you have to understand that they are one of the, they are one of the world's largest economies and, you know, at all, like them in India. Um, but yet at the same token, it's like, you have to think about like, what does that do to their economy? Like you have to remember, it's like when it comes to like natural resources and stuff like that, China doesn't fully produce that much. You know, there's a yeah, lot of stuff that's taking place in mainland China, but yet at the same token, they import a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't, they don't import as much as other companies, other countries do, but they definitely still have significant import. When you think about their technology, I mean, you saw what happened to many companies when you know the u.s had shut off you know certain access to specific technologies mm-hmm. so again you know it's a tough one but yet at the same token i'm i'm like in the camp of saying i would never say never because of the fact that anything is possible now because china has been silent you know they haven't they haven't said anything like as far as directly to russia they may have said look we don't want that smoke but they haven't you know they're in action they they haven't they haven't um they haven't spoke against russia but at the same token Mm -hmm. they haven't they're not fully condoning their behavior right so if russia has money like if part of their reserves I don't know how much it is. Maybe I think it's like over six hundred billion or something. Mm-hmm. And part of it is in gold. Some of it is in U.S., which they don't have access to. And the other part of it is in, um, in uh, the Chinese currency. So, is there what can they do with that? Like, is that that part doesn't seem like it's you got to find you got to find another player that's willing to like do business with you outside of the you know outside of NATO or outside of the UN. Hmm. So that's, there are that's going to be there, that's going to be countries. there are countries out there you know you can mm-hmm. get you can get in business with rogue nations mm-hmm. you can easily do that but like then at the Korea, same token, like it, North Korea yeah like North Korea you can go into other arenas but at the same token they like you run risks there like mm-hmm. any move in the in this in this in this stage of where we are produces mm-hmm. a a significant risk not for Russia, but the folks in whom wish that choose to do business with Russia. Gotcha. Like, that's the thing. It's like, you know, imagine, like, say, for example, if you had two people that were beefing with each other and then it caused a divide within the room. Now everybody in the room has got to sit there and everybody's got to pick a side. Mm-hmm. Then you have the other folks that are like, kind of like, you know, I'm sitting here weighing out my options. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be at beef with anybody. And then you have the folks that whom which that are just like they're picking, you know, the sides and ultimately the folks that are in the middle, they're being like, hey, 
you know, you're seeing some of the greatest brinkmanship here because now in brinkmanship and game theory, it's like, all right, well, hey, you do this, hey, you run the risk of, you know, hey, we're gonna put you in this, we're gonna put you in the same, we're gonna put you in the same category as this as this country. Again, it's it's tough because you know the question is is that would would Russia have even invaded Ukraine if Ukraine was a part of NATO? The answer is no. No, they wouldn't have, and they were trying to get that application, you know, in, but clearly it didn't happen. We know part of those obstacles why it did not happen, given the prior right. administration. Um, so we are somebody's at- asking brinkmanship. So let's explain brinkmanship real quick. Brinkmanship is a game theory, and I challenge everybody if you haven't read this book, please read it. Thinking strategically, because there's a bunch of other game theories that play out not only in just business but also politics and everyday life, which I mean, honestly, I didn't really remember that many books in college, but that was one of the books that stuck out with me since my freshman year. So just think about it. If I'm still rocking with that book since 2004, all the way in its 2022, it's saying something. And I still apply that same type of knowledge. But brinkmanship is one of the game theories where the idea is you're compelling your adversary, you're, you're taking them all the way to the edge, the brink, and then compelling them to pull back. And there's some things about brinkmanship. Like, for example, the brink is only as strong as you hold it up. And on top of that, it's only as strong as if the person in whom which that you're compelling is if they believe it or not. If they don't believe it and if they want to if they want to test your gangsta, then ultimately they're going to literally move against you and ultimately challenge you. But yet, if they don't, if they are not about that smoke, then what they're going to do is they're going to say, all right, well, hey, I digress. I fall back. And ultimately, your brinkmanship was successful. So we see this take place in many different types of tactics, whether it's negotiation, politics, and everything else. You saw it play out with Donald Trump in China, where it was ultimate brinkmanship, um, as well as with other like you know organizations, like for example Paris Accord and all those other things. You saw brinkmanship at its at its well not at its best, but you saw it very heavy. So where we sit right now is you're seeing a part of it playing out in brinkmanship, where you have a collective group that is literally compelling a country by literally starving, like, well, not starving, but literally choking the life out of the, on the economics, which literally says, okay, hey, we're going to smoke you out, which means that, okay, hey, we're going to cut off all these things to you via through sanctions, and you're cut off not only just from the United States, but from other major countries in the world in which that you're probably holding court as it pertains to currency. Well, how does that impact you now? Because now it makes your decisions and your choices limited. And then on top of that, the people that dwell within your country, their choices are significantly impacted and on top of that, limited. So again, now you're sitting on the cusp as it pertains to brinkmanship. Now, what you can do is you can probably look towards somebody else because of the fact that you need resources or essentially you're going to have to compel your, you're going to be compelled to pull back. So... Mm-hmm. And that's where we're probably going to see it play out over over time. It's pretty much like as if you wanted to say like playing chicken or calling someone's bluff or whatever it may be. That's going to ultimately decide the factor of how we see this brinkmanship plays out. Okay. Um, so we are at 630. Um, we have a couple of announcements. Okay. Um, first announcement. Supplemental Sundays returns this Sunday. Hey. Never left, but they'll be back this Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That is 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And um, the topic will be a continuation of futures. Um, And in this, in that um, session, 
uh, specifically strategies as it relates to future. So you do not want to miss that. Shout out to Tivo and um, AJ holding it down on Sundays. Um, and then Mark, there was a riddle. There was. Y'all, we were trying to do a pop up for the people for Quad Witch. We were, but nobody. Y'all did to... not answer this riddle. So now we might not see y'all on Thursday. Yeah, I'm gonna leave that decision to Jolene. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Put it on me. I'm not gonna put I don't it on you. Mind, I don't mind popping up on a Thursday. I mean, I think it will be good because we have the new pick list. You know. How about this? Yeah. We'll we'll do a pop up on Thursday, but because of the fact that they couldn't get it right, we'll probably only pop up on people for maybe twenty five to thirty minutes. We'll make it short. Maybe thirty minutes because yeah. it takes us to get on. So. Yeah, you know. Thirty minutes. We're gonna keep we're gonna we're gonna keep it brief, but we're gonna keep it black. <laughs> yes, five thirty to six p.m. Uh, that's Pacific time. Yes. We'll be back on Thursday. For the pop-up for the people. Wait, that's what time? Pacific time? 5.30. 5.30 Pacific time, 8.30 Eastern time. Okay. Yes. Yes. So pop-up for the people. Because um, <laughs> we love y'all. Um, even though y'all didn't answer the, you know, the riddle. But that's mm. okay. So we'll give just, you 30 minutes. I'll just, should I explain the riddle on Thursday or should I explain it today? Maybe Thursday. No, explain it on Thursday. Yeah, yeah we'll yeah. explain it on Thursday. On Thursday. But um, a lot of the questions that came in today had to do with quad witching. So we'll reserve those questions um, and I'll send out another question poll on my Instagram um, to gather questions that you all have might have for quad witch. Um, we may do like a lightning round or maybe we'll just compile the questions and just see like what the general themes are and then answer those questions because there are several videos out on, you know, quad witch and all that. And yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about, you know, just what the context is for this quad witch given, you know, where the economy is right now and all that good stuff. So you're welcome. <laughs> and on top of that, I got another announcement. What's up? The Come Up Series is officially, there is a community on, on Twitter. There's a Come Up Series community. Yes. I Finally. Just joined, didn't even know about it. I just joined it. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, I don't really be on Twitter like that. Um, I do. <laughs> and yeah, it's easier for me because it's like yo it's like having to like put together photos and all this other stuff it's like eh, okay you whatever talk, yeah. i'd rather just like just just send a quick note just share some knowledge boom there you guys have it <laughs> like let your let your imagination run wild all right so we'll see y'all on thursday for about 30 minutes uh, the best 30 minutes of your life there you go we're gonna call it like the the power half hour <laughs> Yes, a little power 30, little G30. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you so much. I gotta count my money. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we gotta make sure we gotta go make sure there's some checks clear. All right, <laughs> right y'all. Thank you so much for rocking with us. We hope that you learned uh, some valuable information in tonight's conversation. Don't worry, I will drop this on the description. There'll be a Google uh, Drive link so that way you can download the file or just go check it out and literally read over it. It'll just be a nice little PDF and we'll make sure that it's available across different social media platforms as well. So don't worry, we got you covered because it's not your fault that you know our system had somewhat of a technical difficulty that mm -hmm. needs to be fixed. 
anyways until next time i'm mark monroe and i'm julian gc and the place to be all right this has been a come up thank you for sitting with us at the school of investing we will see y'all on thursday at 5 30 pacific time 8 30 eastern time until next time peace y'all